Star Wars 7x7 episode 1385 today. How everybody else saw Luke Skywalker on Crate. What kind of reactions they had as the most famous Jedi in the galaxy suddenly arrived where no one expected him to be. Punch it, Chewie. Hey, I'm Anthony Bresnikan, covering the Star Wars galaxy for Entertainment Weekly, and you're listening to Star Wars 7x7, the only daily Star Wars podcast. Hey, Rebel Rouser, I'm Alan Voivod, and this is Star Wars 7x7. So we are getting close to the end of our look at the last Jedi novelization and the secrets that it holds for us and allowing us to have a more rich and detailed experience of viewing The Last Jedi. And today I'm going to talk about how other characters experienced Luke's arrival on Crate. And it goes from the people who barely realized what the heck was going on to people who had very deep evaluations of the situation and very extensive internal monologues going on. For Ray and Chewie, they did not realize at the time that Luke had arrived. And there's a deleted scene where they are flying toward the front of the... Uh, the door to the base on crate after they've gotten rid of all the TIE fighters and they see this huge conflagration of fire coming from all the mast walkers and whatnot and Ray says mm, better go around back and so yeah <laughs> they just take off and they have no idea that Luke is actually standing there or you know something resembling Luke is standing there so that one goes by really quickly when Luke actually arrives inside the base or his, well, okay, spoiler alert. Do I really have to do this? Spoiler alert. <laughs> when he arrives via hologram in the base, people can actually hear his footsteps. So, which I thought was a really interesting thing that the presentation of the hologram, it's not just a, you know, floating thing where you can't quite tell. And that being said, it's only producing sound. It's apparently not having a physical effect because when we see in the movie where he's been and been walking around, he's not kicking up salt like everybody else is. He's not revealing the red minerals underneath the surface of that salt layer on crate. So there is, I guess, a level to what can and can't be done with this whole hologram projection business. But there is some kind of physical contact that can happen because it happens between Leia and Luke. And it seems that there's a suggestion that Leia understood that Luke wasn't really there, that this was some sort of hologram. There's a moment where they touch foreheads and there's a reference to a secret that he and she share. And we don't know what that secret is, but I think the implication is that Leia realizes in the moment that Luke is not actually there. And yet, by all appearances, he is and it's going to mess with everybody's heads. And as he goes striding out the door, that's about the same time that Finn is dragging Rose back into the base, or at least back into one of the trenches where all the troopers had been shooting fruitlessly at the walkers and trying to hide from the TIE fighter strafing runs. And ultimately, you know, they use those trenches to get themselves back in the base. And that's how Finn gets Rose back into the base. And so they kind of realize that something crazy is happening there. But you know, they're too busy trying to get clear, even though the walkers aren't shooting at them. According to Finn, he thinks that they don't consider Finn and Rose a danger of any kind. They're more focused on cracking into the base and then focused on Luke coming out of there. 
And then we get to Poe Dameron's reaction. And Poe, of course, is one who has, I guess, the biggest insight as far as these things go. This is where he is really learning on the job about what is going on around him, what people are doing that might be different from his methodology, his just charge in and fight kind of attitude about things. So he sees Luke going out there and realizes that he's watching history unfold, that this is something that's absolutely legendary happening. And he doesn't know that Luke is a hologram at that point. It doesn't matter anyway. Just, you know, it is an amazing event that he's witnessing. And he's aware that he grew up under the shadow of a tree, a seedling of a tree that Luke had given to his mother, Shara Bay, and that was planted on Yavin 4, where Poe grew up. And it was confirmed by Jason Fry in the novel that it was a Uniti tree, which is the same kind of tree that is on the island of Octo that Yoda decides, I've had enough of this <laughs> dithering by Luke and burns to the ground via lightning. So yes, it's a Uniti tree. It is the same kind of tree that Poe Dameron grew up under. And we don't know what Luke did with the other one. That Uniti tree that's on Octo is supposed to be very, 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 very old. And therefore, it shouldn't be the other of the two that Luke rescued as depicted in the Shattered Empire comic book series. Now, just for the time frame perspective of things, Poe was about two years old or so when the Battle of Endor happened. And the novel says that he was an adolescent by the time Luke was gone off in, you know, the wilds of the galaxy searching for whatever Jedi lore he could find. And Poe was learning to fly in the debris field around Yavin. So... That in itself, you know, it gives us a little bit more detail about Luke's timing in the galaxy when he was gone, when he wasn't gone, that sort of thing. But I told you in previous podcasts that I've been rereading the Aftermath novels with Scorekeeper Declan, and there's... You know, he's already gone as far as that goes. He is already off searching for Jedi lore within the first year after the Battle of Endor, so... You know, this whole thing about Poe being an adolescent by the time Luke was gone for good. Well, I mean, maybe that's a, you know, gone for good, like not dealing with potential Jedi students anymore. But that has to be, I think, five years or so before The Force Awakens starts. It can't be much more than that. And Poe is definitely not an adolescent at that point. So I think there's still a bit of mystery for us to unravel there. But probably the most extensive reaction to the appearance of Luke has to come from the bad guys, from Kylo Ren and from General Hux, surprisingly. So Kylo Ren, of course, <laughs> not happy about the whole situation. And the expression on his face, General Hux reads the expression on Kylo Ren's face as fear. And that is super exciting to General Hux because fear is something that he can get a hold of and work on. For him, it means that he is sensing weakness and opportunity, according to the novel, and he's already starting to plan how he can possibly sideline and marginalize Kylo Ren in the days, months, years to come, so that way he can be the one to take control of the First Order, and he's already shown previously that he will do anything and everything, including killing his own dad in order to get control of the First Order, so I definitely think even though Kylo Ren can throw him all over the place with force pushes and force jokes and whatnot, I don't think General Hux is a person to be underestimated for anyone's sake. And as Hux is watching 
Luke on the battlefield. Like he has the hairs coming up on the back of his neck and has the complete and utter sensation that Luke is staring right at them. Like really just can actually see from that far distance all the way into the shuttle and is making eye contact with people. Like that's how powerful Luke's appearance is. And as Hux reflects on the legacy of the Jedi, you find out that he pretty much believes the lie that Palpatine had put out there, that the Jedi tried to take over the Senate and that, you know, they had to be put down as part of a rebellion against the Galactic Empire and that the clone troopers were, you know, used for that regard. But he thinks about the clone troopers and he thinks about how the Jedi would take students when they were very young and bring them to Coruscant for training and whatnot. And he arrives at the conclusion that the First Order training process and the means of getting First Order troops, they are abducting children for that, is the legacy of the Jedi and the clone army. And he's kind of right in a twisted way. I mean, in the sense that you get them young like the Jedi did, and in the sense that you program them like they did with the clones, then, yeah, you've got some similarity between First Order Troopers and a mix of the Jedi and the clones. But for that to be the Jedi's final legacy, as Hux imagines it, I mean, it's not going to be that. But it's a, a rather startling way of looking at the First Order that, oh yeah, there was something to be learned about what the Jedi did, and the First Order actually said, yeah, let's consider that and not just be ultimate evil bad guys let's be ultimate evil by looking at what the good guys did and doing it more evilly <laughs> instead oh man so there you go that is a summary of how hux and ren and poe and leia and finn and rose are reacting to the appearance of luke skywalker on crate 3po pretty much what you saw in the movie same kind of experience so and the conversation i guess i should point out too the conversation that luke and leia have in the novelization is pretty much the same one that you get to see in the movie so nothing crazy special different unique there you get the full emotional power and you can kind of see why that one wouldn't get particularly embroidered because it is such an incredible and indelible moment in the movie. All right, I'm going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, a couple more tidbits from this part of the story. Stay tuned. Hey, Rebel Rouser. Want a free copy of The Last Jedi in 4K UHD HDR with Dolby Atmos and Dolby Vision? It's the highest quality you can possibly watch The Last Jedi at, courtesy of Voodoo. And starting Friday, March 16th, I'm giving away those 10 to the first 10 people who become patrons of the podcast at the $5.01 level or higher. And if you join at the 1138 level or higher, I'll throw in a free copy of The Force Awakens Trivia Book 2. Go to patreon.com slash sw7x7 to support the show and get your free copy of The Last Jedi. Again, that's patreon.com slash sw7x7. Welcome back. All right, so R2-D2 on the Millennium Falcon, having to search for life forms and having to deal with the three droid brains that run the Falcon. I forget that that's the case, that it's three advanced droid brains, and they don't get along with each other, which is part of what causes some of the quirks of the Falcon in general. Now, R2-D2 is generally adept at working with the Falcon, I guess has become that over the years, 
And so he knows how to talk to these brains in a way that 3PO never did. In fact, the novelization says that the Falcon actively hates 3PO, which is funny and sad all at once. And I just absolutely love that line. And of those three brains, one of them is described as having a you know penchant and a desire for romantic gossip and dirty jokes. And R2-D2 has gone out of his way over the years to stock his brain up with an ample supply of both romantic gossip and dirty jokes to be able to appease that particular one of the three brains of the Falcon's computer. I thought that was rather extraordinary as well. God, you know, R2's been in operation for three quarters of a decade, give or take, right? So how much storage does he have in there? And he never gets wiped. I mean, that was part of his particular valuableness to the resistance and to the rebellion and to the <laughs> to the galactic republic before it so man i don't know where he is storing all that information but he is packing a an incredible amount of it so anyway that was the last thing that I wanted to share with you from this part of the story. We're going to get into the final showdown between Kylo Ren and Luke Skywalker in tomorrow's episode. But for today, that's going to do it. And it just remains for me to say thank you so much for listening, as always. And may the Force be with you wherever in the world you may be. Thanks for listening to another episode of Star Wars 7x7. And hey, before you become a spy for the Jedi Council, check out SW7x7.com for show notes, links, photos, videos, and more. And if you want to join the inner circle of fans of the podcast, become a patron of the show at patreon.com SW7x7. It's not a night at the space opera, it's destiny unleashed. This podcast is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox, and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2018, Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it. What's up, sandwich heads? Today on Steve-O's Sandwich Reviews, we've got the tips and tricks to the best sandwich order. And it all starts with this little guy right here. Pepsi Zero Sugar. Partial to pastrami, craving a Cubano. Yeah, sounds delicious, but boom! Add the crisp, refreshing taste of Pepsi Zero Sugar and cue the fireworks. Lunch, dinner, or late night, it'll be a sandwich worth celebrating. Trust me, your boy's eaten a lot of sandwiches in his day, and the one thing I can say with absolute fact, every bite is better with Pepsi.